our belief system was like Jesus was going to come in this rapture and you weren't going to know and it was going to happen. And if you were listening to a rock and roll music song when it happened or if your hair was too long when it happened or if you happened to be dancing and God forbid anything else, when it happened, you were going to be left behind. You're either going to have to take 666 on your hand, which means you were doomed to eternal hell. And so I was sitting in Pizza Hut and this Cold as Ice song was playing. And I'm like, oh, I want to listen to this song. But what if Jesus comes back while I'm enjoying this song? What a horrifying, terrible, traumatic teaching from the Bible. And it's not true, by the way. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical where we're challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. This is Saturday morning and we do what we call Pastor Paul's Bible Chat. And I usually bring just a portion of the Bible and we started going through Matthew, and we'll see what happens. Okay, let me share. Sorry. All right. Bless this live stream in the name of the Lord of heaven and earth and all that's holy, and just bless the people that are here. So let's go to Matthew chapter two. We did Matthew chapter one before, so we go to two. That makes sense, doesn't it? So it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's a really key verse for me in this chapter. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's not talking to sinners. He's talking to the religious good people of the community. And he's saying in verse eight, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So I, I hear people talk a lot about repenting and just let's just note that you know, like sinners need to repent or they're going to hell. And almost always, as we go through the gospels, when we see repentance, it's almost always pointed at religious people and it's telling them to repent. So we're going to talk about what repentance is in just a little bit. Verse 9, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid root, uh, laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his... So that's another key verse here. He's talking about Jesus, and he's saying, Jesus is going to come behind me. I'm doing my preaching here, but Jesus is coming. And he's going to be greater than me. I'm not even worthy enough to pick up his sandals and carry them for him, uh, which was a lowly job is what he's saying. He's really humble compared to this guy. And he's saying he, 
this one that is to come, or Jesus, will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. John was doing water baptism and calling for this particular repentance, and Jesus was going to come and bring Holy Spirit and fire. And so this, it was this other thing that Jesus was going to be bringing. So again, we'll come back to that. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So let's stop there and talk a little bit about John the Baptist. So he's this weird guy and this weird guy out in the desert doing teaching. And and I think what they're pointing out of why he's unusual is to just show he was different than the religious people of the day, that John wasn't afraid to be unusual and have a little bit of a different story than what was being told by the religious system of his day. And so that's what I think is is significant about the locust and all that stuff, that John the Baptist was a different character than what's been seen. And so this is this was John the Baptist wearing this weird outfit, eating this weird food. He was dedicated to his task of, of preaching this message. And so what was his message? So he was baptizing people to bring about salvation and and, and his salvation was a salvation of sin and repentance. And what some would say is John was the last Old Testament prophet and Jesus was the first New Testament prophet. So John was still in this idea of there has to be a sanctification, there has to be the sacrifice and this sort of death resurrection thing. And so I'm not saying we don't baptize now and all those things, but the way of building relationship with God was going to be changed by this new better that was coming. So we constantly see this in the Bible. If you read the book of Hebrews, this idea of there was a religious system and it had been put in place by God for a reason through a particular covenant with a particular people, but what was coming next was going to be better. So we had animal sacrifice in the temple by the priest. And then Hebrews says, but then Jesus and the way he showed us to connect to God directly without an intermediary is better. And here's John the Baptist saying, I'm teaching this gospel that I've been taught to teach and called to teach. But now I'm going to show you that somebody is coming who's bringing a better religion. And we saw the apostle Paul said, hey, here's the way to do things. And then then when somebody was trying to go back, he said, who vexed you to believe that you had to be circumcised to be a Christian? So constantly we see this story in the Bible. Carol, by the way, if you're listening, you just sent a text to me about picking something up at the store. I don't think that was meant for me, but I, I love seeing your name pop up on the screen. And so constantly what we see in this story is here's a religious thing. Now here's the better. So that's constantly the story of the New Testament is like a new way is coming. And so my argument is always, my argument is always, let's not go back to this old religion of laws and rules That's what Jesus came to get rid of. That's what everything signifies is that it's not about the rules anymore. It's about having relationship with God and relationship with each other. And then we're like, yes, you're right. It's absolutely 100% grace. You're right, Paul. It's 100% grace. But what about this rule? Don't we follow this rule? How about this rule? And the rules are gone. Now it's in relationship with God. So what may be a rule for me, because God is trying to pull me to my best self, and, and to walk in my best world and say, may not be a, a rule for somebody else, because what may be a temptation for me may not be a temptation for somebody else. And so it's if somebody is alcoholic to the point of it being destructive to themselves, to their relationship with God and to their relationship with somebody else, 
then, then it may be sin for them to go into a bar. It's not in alignment with what God's best plan is for them. But me, I don't have any problem with alcohol anymore. I may have had it in college, but I can go into a bar. So it's not the rules anymore. And, and we're like, yes, isn't that great? It's not the rules anymore. But what about the rule on homosexuality? Shouldn't we observe that rule? No, no rules. It's all grace. It's all grace. But what about this or that? So we don't get it. That yeah, What I'm trying to say to the world right now is who vexed you to go back to this, this idea of these rules and ultimately this Christian partisan nationalism. All of that is, is Old Testament belief systems infiltrating in the new and everything about the New Testament is trying to say, no, no, let's get rid of the old and go into the new. And so some will say, but yes, but didn't Jesus say he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it? So you have to understand what that's saying. What It's not saying that the law is going to stay in place after him. He's saying he didn't come to, to destroy what was there before, but once he had fulfilled the covenant under which the law was written, then the law has to go away. I, I explained it this week last this way last week. If you and I have a contract and I'm going to deliver to you 50 copies of my book, say, sorry, my, my iPad's slipping down a little bit, and we make a contract and you're going to pay me a certain amount of money and I'm going to deliver 50 of my novels to you. Joseph comes to town. And so I come and I bring a box. Oh, boom, here's 50 books. And you give me the money. And at the end of it, we're like, okay, Paul, do you have your money? Yes. Do you have your books? Yes. Okay. The contract is fulfilled. Now we no longer have a contract. Now we didn't destroy the contract. We fulfilled it, but we no longer have to live under the terms of this. So if you were to come back to me and go, hey, I want my 50 books. I would say, no, I gave you your 50 books. I know, but there are still 50 books that I need. I don't owe you 50 books because we're not in a covenant together anymore. We're not in a contract together anymore. Yeah, but I want my 50 books. That's what we're doing. Jesus fulfilled the covenant, and therefore we cannot be held to the terms of that covenant anymore. And so it's just funny, it, particularly how Christians like will use this type of theology. And when you say some things, they'll be like, well, that's Old Testament. You know, if I say David had multiple wives and God didn't make him repent for that, even though Jesus said one man and one woman, oh, that's, that's Old Testament. God could think differently then. But then the next thing out of their mouth will be like, yeah, God hates gays because Sodom, the story of Sodom, right? I'm like, now you're like choosing when to listen to the Old Testament and when to not. You're, you are, and I get accused of this by staunch fundamentalists all the time. You're picking and choosing what to believe from the Bible. This is exactly what you're doing. You're choosing when to make the Old Testament pertinent, and particularly in the case of homosexuality, so often we're like, yeah, God has to hate homosexuality because look what he did to Sodom. And we miss that the only place this is really talked about in the New Testament in, in Jesus is Jesus said, hey, Capernaum, my, you know what, my headquarters where I did more miracles than anybody else, this great, wonderful religious city. Do you know who's going to have a better judgment day than you? Sodom is going to have a better judgment day than you. And, and so we missed that what Jesus was saying all the time was, hey, being religious isn't the answer. Following God and being in alignment with God's heart is. And I think he would say the same to our religious people today. That's what it is. So John is saying here, I'm bringing a particular story of heaven and the gospel as this Old Testament prophet, but one is coming who's going to do something more amazing than me. 
And, and then he sees the religious guys and he's, you guys are the problem. You need to repent. So let's talk about the word repentance mean, doesn't mean to say, I'm sorry, I stole gum when I was 12 from the grocery store. Repent means to change your mind and, and literally it means to change your direction in 180 degrees of where you're going. And, and so John says to them, hey, you need to bear better fruit. And that fruit needs to be the fruit of repentance. And so what we've made repentance to be in the evangelical church is say this magic prayer, join our club, and you're going to go to heaven and it's all good. And we have grace for ourselves in, in our stuff. We have grace for the divorced people in our midst, as long as they're good tithers. And we have grace for a lot of other things. We have grace for obese people, even though the Bible talks a lot about gluttony, but we don't have grace for the other things that we don't like. And that's because we don't understand what repentance means. It's literally a word that says metanoia. It means to change your mind and change your direction. Repentance isn't confessing your sin and saying, Jesus, come in and be Lord and Savior of my life, although that can be a really powerful act and moment. But what repentance is like saying, I'm dedicating my life to walking with God because Jesus has shown me how I get to connect directly with the throne room of heaven. I don't need this intermediary priest anymore. I don't need this intermediary church. I, I don't even need, and I know this is going to sound heretical to some of you, but I don't need a Jesus being in between me and God to make sure God doesn't fry me to a crisp. That's not what Jesus came to display. Jesus was like, I'm here to show you who the Father is, and some believe that he actually was God walking around with skin on, that he was God incarnate. God came to earth as a human being so he could empathize with us in our suffering, and he did that to show us the character of the creator of the universe, not the character of Jesus who then saves us from being fried to a crisp by that creator, but to actually, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, you've seen the creator in heaven. And so the job of repentance is to say, I'm going to chase after a relationship with the creator of the universe, the spirit that's over all this thing, whatever that looks like to you. And I'm going to let it make me walk and live differently. So the idea of you pray a prayer and you're going to get to go to heaven forever, and then you can just live like a total jerk the rest of the time. You can be Marjorie Taylor Greene and treat people like total crap and believe nutball conspiracy theories, and you're all good, is just not what the Bible is saying. So John is saying to the religious guys, again, remember, he's not talking to sinners here. He's not talking to the murderers and the abortion doctors and the, all the people that we want to hate. He's talking to the religious guys. He's talking to Franklin Graham. He's talking to Jerry Falwell Sr. and Jr. He's talking to the religious guys. And he's saying, you guys need to have the fruit of repentance. You need to change because your religious system is killing people. And it's really what my message is. <laughs> my wife sometimes says I'm like this long bearded, long haired prophet eating locust and honey because I'm out here saying church, you need to repent. You need to repent. The church is what's wrong. The church is what's rotting out in our culture today and causing a nasty stink. And so what John says here is even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. He's saying, you, you think because you say Abraham is our father. So what that meant is they're saying, because we're Jews, 
good things come from us, good things happen. That's, and, and again, I would say it's exactly the same as evangelicals today. Well, because we're Christians, everything good. I have Christians say to me, like, nothing good can come from a person that's not a Christian. <laughs> I'm like, I don't see a lot of good coming from you, and you claim to be a Christian. And I have these non-Christian friends who are doing a lot of good things out there. So how can that be true? And so these guys were saying, because we're sons of Abraham, good stuff comes out of us. And John is saying, the fruit isn't there. And so the fruit of you now needs to be repentance and change. And Jesus said it this way. There will be a whole bunch of you that say, hey, didn't we speak in tongues and prophesy and interpret things and do great things in your name? And Jesus says, now what's going to happen when you come face to face with me is I'm going to say, I didn't actually know you. We weren't in relationship together. It's not going to be, did you say a prayer or did you not say a prayer? It's going to say, were we in relationship together? And were you trying to stay in alignment with the creative force, the creator of the universe, God, the father, if you will, as he is in my traditional view, were you in alignment with that? That will be the judgment. And then Jesus would go on to explain alignment with that means loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. Oh, and by the way, your neighbor is your enemy. It's that Muslim person that you think doesn't deserve God's favor. It's that that abortion doctor that you think is a murderer. It's that Democrat that you hate so passionately. Those are the ones you have to love to prove you're in alignment with God's heart. That's really hard, huh? And oh, by the way, you need to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, visit the prisoners in prison. It's a very different life than the evangelical right-wing Christianity we see today, isn't it? And so I think the John the Baptist of the world today, and I don't know, maybe I'm one of them, we need to be saying to our Christian friends, you need to repent. What needs to happen in evangelicalism today is repentance, or else I think the ax is being laid to the root. So statistics show us that the evangelical church, that Christianity and regular church attendance in America in the next generation, the millennials, and then is going to be the lowest of any generation in the history of America. And then Gen Z's come after it. And so my boomer evangelical friends are like, yes, what a horrible generation we have coming up. And I'm like, no, actually, they seem like they're pretty good. They just don't want to go to church anymore because they don't like what church has become. And I think that's exactly what we see John the Baptist saying here. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. He was saying, we don't see it yet, but change is coming. And I am saying in 2021, we don't see the complete demise of evangelicalism at wing school of thought. It seems like it's got a lot of power and influence, but I think in a generation, in fact, I think about 20 to 25 years, we'll be like, what was that church thing again? That was like, they voted for Trump. What was that again? Eben something? Yeah. I think we'll be like, where did it go? Just like today we would say, did you know there used to be a party called the Whigs? I think in 25 years we'll say, whatever happened to that evangelical thing? And that seemed like it had a lot of power and influence. All right. What are your questions and thoughts for today off of my chat about, I actually was in Matthew 3. I don't know why I said it was in Matthew 2. It was in Matthew 3. All right. Kristen says, Mark 7, 6 through 7 has validated your teachings to me. Let me see what those passages say. Mark 7, 6 through 7. And he said to them, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
So you say, Kristen says, Mark 7, 6, and 7 has validated your teachings for me. Interesting. Yeah, I think God would say of the evangelical church today, yeah, you got this form of godliness, but that's even worse than not having any godliness at all. To, be, to have this form and call yourself religious, to say you're doing things in the name of God, and then do horrible, terrible things to people and vote horrible, terrible people into office. I think God would say, mm, I would rather you had no religion at all. And uh, I think that's where I am. So Dan says, I like that we talk about the Bible message, not moral propositions. Melody says, spot on. Thank you, Melody. Even in England, evangelicalism needs a reformation, do you think? Now, I have some British evangelical friends, and I think they have some of the same problems we have with American evangelicalism, but I do think there are some things very unique to American evangelicalism. And some of my friends in England text me every once in a while and say, what in the hell is going on with you guys in America? All right. Blasted says change comes from a relationship with God, not from people. Now, Blasted, one thing I, one way I might push back on that is I do think the Bible is very clear. We're to walk out faith in community and challenge one another. That is, it's really hard to see ourselves sometimes. So we do have to have people we trust that are close in saying, are you sure? That seems a little odd. Are you sure? So make sure you have community around your faith somehow. Now, I don't think it has to be in a church building. And I think what the church building system has pulled us toward has actually taken us way off track. But be careful not to just be that loner Christian in a closet saying, God told me and nobody else can tell me anything. All right. Too much judging, not enough love. Love that. Thank you, J.A. Knowles, for sharing the live video. Look both ways says exactly what my Gen Z kids are saying. Yeah, they're just not going to go to church anymore. And what makes me sad is like boomers, excuse me, I do this every once in a while, but boomers don't give a shit. They really don't. They like blame. It's victim blaming. They're evil. They're backslidden. When in fact, they're just running from the horrendous stuff they're seeing from their parents and grandparents in the church. It's blaming the victim. God hates it. So many religious Christians are so judgmental. That judgment pushes people away. Speak, says Margie. Everyone, please do at my second to last video I made. It will help 100 families this year. <laughs> okay, good guy Wynn said that. I don't know that video, so I can't endorse it, but it's been passed along. If anything, it brings more attention to the theory of reincarnation. I stopped going to church because of too much judgment. I'm sorry if this has been answered, but can you tell us about your religious background? You're so great. What's your story? Why did you start TikTok? Yeah, yeah, no, we don't hate Jews or Judaism at all. I think, I think even Jews today don't do animal sacrifice because a better way came and something new is coming. But it's not a hatred of Judaism. It's seeing an evolution from that. And so, of course, Christianity is going to be written in that language. But no, I, I don't hate Jews at all. New. In fact, I think they're amazing. My, my religious belief is built on the foundation of, of their belief. So I don't think it's a rejection. And, and really, I'm of a place of you find God how you find God. You know, I didn't do Mark chapter 2 today. I skipped over that. But Mark chapter 2 was about the wise men coming to see Jesus. And isn't it interesting that Christians, we read, you know, we have these beliefs about the new age and about Judaism, about, about 
Islam and, and how we hate these other religions and how they have to be wrong. I saw a lady on TikTok talking about how Hindu is interacting with demons, and we're just sure that anything that's not Christian as we know it is wrong. And so the guys that came to see Jesus, the wise men, we celebrate and we have them in our crash. We had a bunch on our piano at Christmas time. They surmised that Jesus was somebody significant by looking at the stars. And it's just, again, it's back to that idea of, oh, God could do that then, but he can't now because, and why? Because we've canonized this book and we've now told ourselves nothing outside this can happen, nothing. And even when there's weird stuff inside, we're going to ignore that, nothing. And I'm more of a belief like, and God will find us where we are. He'll find us where we are. So, yeah, I need to think about that. I hope I'm not sounding like I hate Jewish, the Jewish religion because I don't. Okay, people were asking about my religious background and why I started the TikTok page. Okay, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I'm looking at some of your comments here. Sorry for getting distracted. So I grew up in a Pentecostal church. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm just watching your comments and now I'm distracted. Pull it back. So I grew up in a Pentecostal church in a denomination called the Assemblies of God. My dad was a pastor when I was a young kid, and he still pastored until he retired a few years ago. I love the Assemblies of God. I learned many great things about God. Much of my Bible knowledge I have came through learning in that church, and so I love it. Love it. But it also did some really damaging things to me. Made me feel a great deal of shame in my life. My, my parents were constantly afraid of me going to hell. And, and the teaching was like, if I screwed up in a moment, I remember sitting in a pizza hut one day and this song Cold as Ice by Foreigner was playing. If you know, it's a stupid, horrible, terrible rock ballad. And our belief system was like Jesus was going to come in this rapture and you weren't going to know and it was going to happen. And if you were listening to a rock and roll music song when it happened, or if your hair was too long when it happened, or if you happened to be dancing and God forbid anything else, when it happened, you were going to be left behind. And left behind meant you're either going to have to take 666 on your hand, which means you were doomed forever. If you decided you wanted to feed your family and get the 666 on your hand, you would then be doomed to eternal hell. And so I was sitting in Pizza Hut and this cold as ice song was playing. And I'm like, oh, I want to listen to this song. But what if Jesus comes back while I'm enjoying this song? I'll go to hell forever or, or I'll have to make a choice to eat or not eat. What a horrifying, terrible, traumatic teaching from the Bible. And it's not true, by the way. Heaven, if... <laughs> Just let me say, if you believe in heaven and hell and you don't, it's not going to be a trick question of how you get there. You're, you're going to very much deserve to go to one or the other. It's going to be a very thoughtful decision. It's not going to be like, oh, I said shit. And then Jesus came and uh, I did everything perfect for the rest of my life. But that one moment banished me to eternal hellfire. Come on, use this. That's not a good God that would do that. And so that's not it. That's not it. Okay, so I grew up in that because that was so traumatic and shame-filled for me and had my parents so afraid all the time that they just, there was a really horrible experience. In many ways, it was great. I had great parents who loved us. They didn't abuse us and we had plenty and all of those things. But, but man, always living under the specter that they had to keep me from going to hell caused some really bad stuff to happen. And so I ran from that when I got in college and went through what I call my pagan years and 
and was going to be an, be an atheist and prove that everything I had learned was wrong. I came back to God later in years. So the, sh the short story is started coming back to my religious roots. And I've been going through a tough stretch of life anyway. So it, it did bring some hope back to me. And it was important to me. And I'm glad I did it. Ended up meeting my wife. And so we were de facto assistant pastors in our church started seeing some things that didn't work for us there. And so we had to leave that church. And so that was very traumatic in our family. And so just has caused a rift. That my, my wife's family just hates me and has hated me for a long time. They don't hate me, but they just think I'm not worth much and not a very good person. And they've told me so in very frank and graphic terms, but I've learned to, to live with that. And so we went to another church where we just really had to get healed up from some pain and trauma of the church. So we went to a church called the Vineyard. And one day in the Vineyard, my I had begun feeling in, in my core, in my spirit, if you will, like I had a calling to be a pastor when I was a young kid. And I was a sportscaster at this time. And we had just purchased a radio group and and um, I just felt this tugging. I would say God calling me, this tugging deep down in my core that said, you should be a pastor. And so one day my pastor of our church pulled me into his office and he said, hey, you're supposed to be a pastor, right? And I was like, no. And he was like, I, I just think God's telling me you're supposed to be a pastor. And so I was like, that's a really bad idea. I hate that idea. But ended up going through training in the Vineyard Institute, that is the pastoral and theological training for vineyard pastors from the Vineyard Association of Churches. Got affiliated with a church in Redding, California called Bethel Church. Love those guys a lot. But I'm just trying to think of how I can shorten this story up. Really in the early 2000s began to see there was something wrong in the mix of our evangelical church. And I didn't really know how to put my finger on it. I, I understood that this right-wing partisanship in the church was not good. I quit listening to Rush Limbaugh and right-wing media because I realized it was damaging my spirit and my heart and my ability to relate with other people. And trust me, heavy intake of that stuff does just that. We saw on January 6th the outcome of all of that over decades. And you should not be doing heavy intake on right-wing media, QAnon, conspiracy theory websites, that stuff on an ongoing basis. If I am your pastor, Paul, on TikTok, do not continue to have heavy intake of right-wing media and do not go to QAnon websites or any of those. It is bad for you and your family and your belief in God and your ability to relate well with people. So I began to see that there was a problem, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. And then I started at my, planted my own church in 2008, pastored that for the next 10 years. And I really began to see the damage, uh, this mixing of right-wing Republican partisanship and religion and theology was having, and it was having on people and on families and on the church and on our culture. So I began to speak out of that as leader, as a church. And Long story short, that started becoming a problem. A whole bunch of other things happened. Finally, I just had to leave the church, step out of leadership. And they were really sweet people, and that went really well. And so I decided to start a podcast called The Nonpartisan Evangelical to start discussing these things and start to view, like, how do we view gay people? And is this right? And how do we view non-Christians? How do we view Muslims? And so that's my podcast, The Nonpartisan Evangelical. I wrote this novel, Joseph Comes to Town. 
that's a lot of background, isn't it? And so the TikTok started just because I was just, I'm just trying to get the message out on social media. And so right around the election, my TikTok blew up and it's just been so fun getting to know you guys. All right. As someone who's left-leaning, where would be a good place to find healthy right-wing perspectives? Me and my wife, we do a podcast together live here in, in a, about 45 minutes at 1030 Pacific. My wife is the healthiest <laughs> right-leaning person I know. And the thing that's really awesome, like I had a guy this week going, liberal, she's liberal, telling us about taxes. And funny, she's not liberal at all. And liberals would tell you she's not liberal. So the fact that both sides tell us we're not right, we think probably we're in a pretty good place. But I'm going to tell you, the right-wing church right now, I just think it's pretty sick. I'm not saying that there's not anything good that happens in there. I'm not going to be that person. But I think at its core, it's starting to rot out. And again, I'm not talking about Judaism. I'm talking about the brand of Judaism that was happening in the day Jesus came that was really putting an oppression on people. I think it was saying that was wrong. And so I'm not saying Christianity is horrible and wrong. I'm not anti-Christian. What I'm saying is the brand of American Christianity that has really pervaded the evangelical church is also very prominent in the Catholic church that's very intertwined with its ideology. Is, is a little bit sick. So that's really what I'm talking. And that's what needs to go away. So a pure Christianity and belief in God can come. The severe things we were taught in church, it's easier to understand how people can believe QAnon. Yeah, if you, if you believe in times prophetic, the rapture, all that stuff, believing QAnon becomes pretty easy. It's, a, it's an easy step from there. And the, my friends that are really in deep into end times prophecy have been ones that have gone pretty easily into QAnon. <laughs> so the answer on good right-wing perspectives, man, I don't really know them out there <laughs> right now. I don't really know them. Thank you, Charles, for saying my book is a great book. Thank you guys for the resources you're sharing here. I don't understand why people want to speak about the things QAnon does. I speak about it. Like sometimes I wonder if I shouldn't give it so much oxygen, but now so many people believe it that I think we have to speak out against it. What is QAnon? Some are saying it's a nutball conspiracy theory out there on a bunch of different websites and channels that a lot of my Christian friends are like, Hey, you got to follow this. And I started following it. And I'm like, guys, this is really sick. I told my friends, like, this is not good. I, After I listen to this stuff, I've got to take a shower. And all of the predictions they're making, none of them are coming true. And they're all like, no, they're coming true. And I'm, I'm like, and I would read it. And, no, this didn't happen. Hillary Clinton was not put in prison in 2017 for pedophilia. No, she was not put in prison in 2018 for pedophilia. Everything QAnon has predicted has come true. Okay. If I were, oh, if you were a pastor at a local church, I would consider going to church again. Well, we do a church service online on Sunday mornings if you'd like to join. It's, it, and when I say church service, it's really a spiritual gathering. We come together and, and chat about life and share life. And then, then we do the Christian tradition of communion together. Yeah. Does Bethel believe in grave soaking though? Yeah, some do. So here's my thing on things like grave soaking. And actually, my wife and I may talk a little bit about, like I had a dream a while back and I wrote it into my journal 
And this week, you know, started reading that dream and it became really significant to me and was validating of some things in my life. And so here's my thing. I think there are mystical supernatural things that happen in the world. I really do. I've seen too many strange things to think that there's not something bigger than us. We know there's something bigger than the universe. So the total rationalist that says nothing mystical can ever happen, I struggle with that. But we can take it to extremes. So I want to live in the tension of, yeah, some of this stuff is pretty crazy. And the grave soaking thing, I've always thought that's pretty nutty. But can I speak a blessing over people and there be something mystical that happens in that? Can I take communion with a group of people and something mystical goes along with that? Some would say, no, that's just that part of your brain that, you, that we don't use. And so I'm fine with that if that's what it is. But I've seen enough supernatural things happen that I'm like, okay, guys, to say nothing supernatural happens, I can't go there. I don't think I can ever become just a total humanist rationalist because there's just too much out there. But laying on a grave and picking up somebody's gift, like this mystical, supernatural, spiritual gift, I don't actually see it in the Bible. Although there's the story of a guy that got thrown into a cave where Elisha's bones were there and the dead body landed on the bones and he came back to life. Yeah, you're probably not going to see me laying on any graves anytime soon. But have I, I watched a movie about Malcolm X the other night and I just felt something in my spirit of, I want to walk in that spirit. I want to be willing to speak truth even if it costs me. Yeah. Yeah, where Bethel has gone with its right-wing beliefs is a, is a real tragedy in my life. Yep. And seeing their leaders and so many people that I loved through there. And I watched their Instagram feed. And when they're talking about Donald Trump and jo Joseph Biden, this, the thing on their face is so horrifying. And sometimes I'm seeing people talk, I'm like, I don't, that's certainly not the person that I used to know. And I don't think they're, I think they've gone into this dark place. And yeah, so many, so many of the prophets, so many leaders in the church movement that I was in, I see have just fallen hard for this stuff. And it just, it grieves my heart. And I'm sad for them, but I'm more sad for the people that, whose lives they're destroying and my religious belief system that's being subverted by this aberration of the gospel. <laughs> Why is there so much racism in the evangelical church? You think religion has a place in our government. You are wrong. The anti determinist statement guy. I think everything is intention. I think if we, if we land on this side and we're wrong, and so then we say, these guys are wrong, so I'm going to go clear to the other end of the spectrum. You're wrong too. You become the other side of the same coin if you're not careful. So when we talk about religion and government, 
here's what I say. I live in a tension of our religion is going to, our, our morality, and many of us, our morality come out of some spirituality, are going to be a part of everything we do. Now, do I think our government should be specifically Christian because we determined our founding fathers to that? No, I think our founding fathers were very specific that they didn't want that to happen. They didn't want the government to be an endorser of any religious belief. And I think that's important. Now, I think we can now say the White House celebrating Christmas is a tradition more than a religious ceremony. But the idea that if I were an elected official or like my wife has been an elected official, I have to set aside my Christianity. So let's be careful in that. So my wife was mayor of our city. And when she, on her, the inauguration or celebration of her installment as mayor, she had every religion in town come and say a blessing over our city. Everybody that she could think of come. And each of them blessed our city. The imam, the rabbi, the pastor, the Mormon leader, the you name it. Your wife sounds like a badass. She really is. Yeah, no prayer in school, Aaron. I would say no to that. And Christians who are like, we want prayer in school, just let there be one Buddhist chant in the prayer in the school and see how much they like prayer in schools. And so she had all the different religions say a blessing over our city because we believe there is something supernatural that can happen. And in a blessing, saying shalom over our city. So it was a wonderful thing. And, and so some would say she shouldn't have done that because religion should be totally up. But, but religion is such an ingrained part of our culture. I think that's a way that our moral beliefs can walk alongside government. So the thing is, when we start getting crazy and we're like, hey, this Christian shouldn't be able to do this because of this or that. I start saying, now nah, let's be careful not to like, not like this. So we go clear over here to the other side. Okay. Does that make sense? Acknowledging religion is different than a religious government. Okay, we can agree on that. I agree. So the thing is, when you, what I hear a lot of people say of no religion in government, that's like religion, religious people shouldn't be able to speak up and say, because of my religion, I'm doing this. Malcolm X did what he did because of his Islamic beliefs. And MLK did what he did because of his Christian beliefs. So why is racism so much in evangelicalism? For one, I think racism has been at the heart of religion and used to justify things like racism for a long time. Now, why I think we see it so prevalent today, it's because we got scared. The 50s were run by white Christian men and we liked it. And it seemed like society had a balance to it. But what it really was is that was just a big damper on everything else going on. So the 60s came and it blew the lid off of everything. And it was messy with hippies that didn't take showers and all kinds of things. And so that mess scared people. It really did. And so when we got to the end of the 60s and here come the 70s and all of a sudden you have George Wallace saying, you good people versus those hippies. Let's beat those hippies up. I'm a law and order guy. And then Richard Nixon absconded that law and order mantra. Yeah, Donald Trump didn't come up with law and order. 
George Wallace, a very racist Alabama governor, came up with the mantra of law and order when he was running for president in 1968. And then Richard Nixon absconded it and he started talking law and order and silent majority. You common sense, silent people out there, you're the good American people. And we loved it. Oh, here was this strong man that was telling us he was going to be our savior and he was going to save white Christian culture. And so we sold ourselves to the Republican Party so a strong man could carry us forward and save white Christianity, what we called American, but what actually was white Christianity. Because how is that person who's not a white Christian any less American than me? So we bought it. And then they started using it to manipulate us. And the Republicans made a very cynical, practical choice in 1979. We're going to weaponize abortion as a voting tactic. And we're going to go after the white vote in the South. We, we're never going to win an election again if we don't start winning the South. And so here's how we're going to win the South. We're going to go after the white vote. And that means you common sense people, you law and order people, you good people of America. And a really deep racism of the church was exposed. And it's, it's really sad. Can you please turn that into a TikTok video, the Wallace thing? <laughs> Let me make a note. Yeah, what did that mean to you? You could share that with me and that may help me. It is, I'm doing some stuff for Black History Month. And so that may be a good topic. I like that idea. We are all equal. Yeah, exactly. I believe it's Christians who love money and back Trump believing he gave more of it. I, I think it's deeper than that. I think greed is at the center of a lot of it, but also it's just we're Christians have been manipulated by this idea for so long that it was easy to say, okay, you have to vote anti-abortion. And then it was very easy to say, and anti-tax and pro-Israel. And until now, we all believe those are things the Bible says, not the Republican Party. Pro-gun, unlimited Second Amendment. I can have as many guns as I want in my house and so I can kill as many people as possible whenever I want. It, it all got lopped together. And so a lot of Christians now don't see the line between one or the other. All right, guys, I got to get going here. Which Malcolm X documentary did you watch? Actually, what I watched was One Night in Miami, and I've watched other good Malcolm X documentaries. And why can't I think of his name? The very famous actor, Denzel Washington, did a Malcolm X movie, which is fantastic. But the what I watched about Malcolm X the other night was a movie called One Night in Miami. It's this fictional story of Muhammad, or Cassius Clay, I should say, as he was becoming Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown. Sam Cook and Malcolm X in a hotel room together having a talk. And in the end, the other three guys went one way and Malcolm went his own way and he ended up being killed for it. So I loved it one night in Miami. You can see that. All right, guys, love you. My wife and I will be back in about a half an hour with our podcast for today, but that's my Bible chat. Let me pray a blessing over you guys and you just join with me however it feels right to you or if you don't like prayer you can jump off the TikTok. i'm okay with that i won't be offended but for those who are here i just speak shalom i speak a goodness a purity a justice a wholeness a shalom a peace over your household your household is your oikos it's the word oikos in the new testament and it means everybody who's in your sphere of influence your family 
your friends, your coworkers, everybody you have influence on. I speak peace over that in your life. Yeah, so love you guys. I wish I could get to more of your comments. If you ever have just a question I don't get to and you want to ask, feel free to DM it to me. I won't get back to you right away, but I'll get back as soon as I can. I'll get back faster now because I'm not getting nearly as many visits to my page nor nearly as many DMs. But anyway, so my wife and I will be back in a half an hour and love you guys. Bless you.